Hello, this is the Never Heard of It podcast. I'm Sean Harwell. And I'm Craig Moorhead. And Never Heard of It is the podcast where we talk about the movies that have somehow slipped by us. That's right. So maybe we should just dive right in, yeah? Let's dive in. Our movie this week is the 2014 thriller, The Two Faces of January. Craig, I asked you about this movie and you said that uh, you were not familiar with it. Tell me, uh, just based on that title, what were you thinking that you might be getting into with this thing? I was almost certain you had uh, set me on a course to watch some sort of period romantic drama. Uh, I'm not as familiar with Patricia Highsmith's material, I guess, as I should be. Otherwise, I would have immediately known what was going on. Right. So that was kind of the thing. I, I, I saw, I heard the title, obviously. Later, I looked at the poster and I thought, <laughs> I thought, this doesn't look very good. That, that, <laughs> That was that was me going into it. Like I, I like everybody involved and everything, but oh man, if if no one's heard of this and it's a year old or so and it's got these people in it, something's wrong. Yeah, I had heard about this movie. I just happened across a trailer on Wine somewhere or whatever, and was like, oh, Viggo Mortensen made another movie. You know, it's it's been a while since I've seen him in anything. And I knew Patricia Highsmith as the talented Mr. Ripley writer. Uh, and so let me just throw you the synopsis real quick. It's a thriller centered on a con artist, his wife, and a stranger who flees Athens after one of them is caught up in the death of a private detective. That comes from IMDb. It was written or adapted and directed by Hossein Amini, who also just recently adapted Drive. He did Snow White and the Huntsman, and he was nominated for an Oscar from The Wings of the Dove, which is a great movie. Uh, so, I mean, this dude is obviously kind of cream of the crop screenwriter adaptation guy, right? Uh, this is his first film that he's directed. And it does star Viggo Mortensen, Kirsten Dunst, Oscar Isaac, who I think just announced, uh, Craig, he's going to be in every movie that comes out in 2016, just so you're aware of that. No, good for him. I want to start our discussion of this movie a little bit differently this week, just by simply asking you, Craig, did you like this movie? I did. Okay. Well, that, that'll make our discussion go a little longer, because I did not. Um, oh, wow. And, All right. Uh, yeah. I will say, this thing has, I think, 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think Netflix, it was showing like three and a half out of five stars. So you're in the majority. That, that's, that's good. As usual. Yeah. But again, uh, despite those, those ratings, this, this thing fell off the face of the earth, man. I have no idea what happened to it. I tried to do a little digging. It looks like it got a very limited release and made about half a million bucks in theaters in the U.S. It did four million worldwide. Again, can't find the VOD numbers, but I know it was out there. So by all accounts, this should have been pretty well publicized, and it wasn't. So if anybody has that story, let us know. I'd love to hear it. Craig. Since you've obviously just professed your undying love for this movie, <laughs> and I'm going to hold you to that. What were you thinking as far as like what, what they're setting up? What, what did you feel like it was kind of preparing you for? Because to me, that's where I, I, I had a bit of a rub was just the way it built my expectations and then how it delivered on those. It opens with Oscar Isaac's character, Rydal. 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 So, so Rydal is, is giving a tour to a group of ladies. And he's showing them the the Parthenon. Then it sort of cuts to, and I may be skipping over something here, but then it sort of cuts, cuts to Vigo and Kirsten, and they are, I guess, Chester and Colette, as far as we know. Yes, husband and wife from and, New York, I think. 
Vigo has amazing wavy hair. Maybe he we didn't does. see that. I, yeah, yeah. Uh, just perfect, perfectly done. He looks good. He looks sharp in this. He looks really well put together. Right. And they're having a discussion about the Parthenon, and I believe it's Kirsten, or is it Vigo, who says, uh, you know, they built it in such a way that, you know, if, if you if you set an object down at one end of these steps, at the other end, you can't see it. It's sort of, sort of an optical illusion. Right. And then she, and so she said, oh, well, put your hat down here, and then I'll go over there and see if, if, it's, if I can see it or not. And she goes over... And says she can't see it, and he's blown away by it, and then it turns out she's just fucking with it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so right on, you know, these two are not being honest with each other. A nice foreshadowing, uh, maybe, of later events. But anyway, so they're walking away from the hat trick, and there's Rydell sitting on a bench, sort of just watching them. <laughs> Look at those beautiful people over there with wavy hair. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, but that's the thing, you know. Um, he seemed menacing even at the Parthenon he seemed to do that in a menacing way now, and, and here's the thing going into the movie I thought it was going to be a romantic drama so <laughs> right so you know so at the point at which I saw Chester and Colette on the steps there I'm thinking oh okay it's going to be this romantic this love triangle which it mm-hmm. eventually becomes but then when I saw him the way he was looking at them when they were walking by I was like oh so he's someone who means them harm and I think it was around then maybe I actually did a search about the movie and realized <laughs> that it was written by Patricia Highsmith. You cheated, who, basically. Basically. Who did yeah. Town, Town of Mr. Ribley. Um, did you go ahead and read the ending oh. of the book as well? Uh, I, I know, but I, I, I just I fast-forwarded to the end oh, good to idea, see how yeah. it turned out. Let's listen to a clip from Two Faces of January. Let's talk about the casting of Dunst and Mortensen as husband and wife. Okay. I thought it was kind of interesting in the sense that this is one of the first movies I've seen her in where I was like, oh, she looks like an adult. Yeah. And yet uh, there's still, uh, you know, I looked this up, I think there's 24 years age difference. Look, I know it's Hollywood. You're never going to get a 56-year-old actor and a 56-year-old actress. Like, they just don't do that. Right. It may be... You know, plays a little better here because of the nature of Chester and, and kind of who we learn uh, he is, in fact. But, uh, you know, having done Holy Smoke and we had a bit of issue with <laughs> Harvey Keitel and uh, Kate uh, Winslet, did this rub you at all uh, in a similar way as being miscast as far as the age? Uh, no, honestly. Um, I- I'm, I'm kind of hot and cold with, with Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. Uh, some stuff, you know, obviously it totally works. Some stuff it doesn't. I don't feel like she's killing anything here. I do think she's kind of an odd choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, kind of like what you were saying, um, she looks older in this movie than than I feel like she even looks like in real life. I, I, I was actually trying to figure out if they were aging her or not, because it made actually more sense to me if she was much younger than him. Uh, that he was a guy who suddenly has all this money. Right. He would and, seek that out. He definitely seems like that type of character. Right. Yeah, he's looking for the younger lady. Well, and he kind of says it later a little bit where he's like, well, if you, you know, if you've been through enough shit in your life and then you find, you know, this person who you just think is, is everything, then you have to hold on to them. But it still kind of comes off as a guy who just, 
who like grabbed his hot secretary and, and, <laughs> and, and is, is feeling like he's in love because she's young and, you know, like she's, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, so so that much worked for me. Well, and and she did very much fits kind of that uh, Hitchcockian blonde model in this movie quite a bit. I mean, there's specifically later on in that, that scene on the bus where she's wearing the, uh, I'm going to call it a bandana, but I'm sure it's called something else mm-hmm. that, that women wear on top of their heads in the shades. And like, she's just sitting there and I'm like, oh yeah, she totally looks like she just walked straight out of a Hitchcock movie. Yeah. And uh, I like that, but in some ways, that was my general problem with this movie. Is I, f- I do feel like I would have appreciated it better if it had come out in 1950. In a lot of ways, let's let's talk about the thing that sort of really kicks this movie off, and that's when uh, a little bit later there's an incident in a hotel where you've got a guy who basically shows up looking for Vigo's character because you find out that he's. Um, a stockbroker of some sorts back in New York, and he swindled some people out of money. And one of the people he swindled out, I think it said, was attached to a gambling syndicate. Basically, he stole from a crook, I think is the implication. They've sent this very sort of burly guy uh, to come collect the money or bring this guy back or possibly kill him. And they then go into the bathroom of this hotel room and have their altercation, and Vigo ends up killing this dude which, you know, I think if we've learned nothing else from movies between this and Eastern Promises, it's that you do not want to fight Viggo Mortensen in a bathroom. Clothes or no clothes, doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, I would say opt for clothes, and then, yeah. Sure, see where don't, it goes from there. Yeah, don't just assume that if he doesn't have clothes on, you're going to be able to take him down, because we know that's not going to happen. <laughs> not going to happen. Uh, so he somewhat accidentally kills this guy. Uh, probably my favorite sequence of the movie is after this when he's dragging this body out into the hallway you know he's he's mentioned i think to colette his wife that you know he's just you know he fell he slipped and then you know in the hallway you're cross-cutting between uh this action and Os- oscar isaac he has returned to the hotel to bring them something that they left in a car and he's headed up the elevator and you get all this back and forth and like you just know like okay like yeah he's going to catch him right in the middle of the hallway which is exactly what happens mm-hmm. and Vigo's telling him that this guy's just passed out drunk you know they were downstairs in the bar and he had too much to drink blah 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 and uh, they take him into the into the guy's hotel room and in there we see that this guy has been following Vigo. He's got photos of them. Oscar Isaac discovers this. And from this point forward, Oscar Isaac is basically pledging his help to get them out of Athens and, uh, you know, cover their identity and make sure that they don't get caught. You know, I just never completely understood why. Did you, you had no issues with why this guy would suddenly glom on to this man and his wife uh no you know this this was a a part of the movie that felt underdeveloped i went with that on the uh, with the idea that you know he was he was interested in kirsten dunst he went back to that hotel to return this bracelet that that he had essentially stolen money from her husband to give her this bracelet uh and and yet now when he finds it in the cab he's like oh i'm gonna go back and give it to her so I, I think that's supposed to be what you're supposed to buy into. It's like he can see that these people are in danger, which means she's in danger. He's not just going to help that guy. If it was just that guy, he would not be helping. Uh, or if you need a little more than that. I do. The guy, <laughs> the guy has money. He knows the guy has money. He can take the guy for money. And he's got a beautiful wife. And, and, and they just fell into Oscar Isaac's playground. 
Right. And I, I think that's what I was ex- expecting it to, to become, I guess. I mean, I, I think the problem for me was we see so early on that Oscar Isaac is not a trustable guy. And in fact, I think Vigo Chester himself says he wouldn't trust him to mow his lawn. I mean, that very first night that they go out and hang out together. This is before he comes back to the hotel room. And then despite that, man, they all end up together uh, for a couple of days. I don't know. Like to me, it's, it's it was hard for me to accept that this guy, Oscar Isaac, was just going after this girl because I know that he is a con man. You know what I'm saying? It's like uh, there's nothing about him that I expect to be on level. And I, I didn't ever feel like there was a moment where it's like, oh, no, this dude just totally fell for this girl, you know? Yeah. And uh, that never quite clicked for me. I mean, I definitely think that is that is the underdeveloped plot point that I think anyone watching it would definitely agree that's the weakest thing. Like, you have to kind of force yourself to believe that he's into her. You see immediately that they're sort of interested in each other. But yeah. for him to want to aid and abet someone who he's not sure exactly what's going on is probably a criminal, yeah, uh, it's it's a leap. It's definitely a leap that they needed a little more work with to to kind of get you there. Well, and it was also a bit of a leap to me uh, as to really why Chester would also kind of trust this guy to help them. And well, the yeah. whole movie hinges on that in a lot of ways. Sure. Well, and I think I, I, I think I believe Chester's motivation even more. And, and it kind of brings up something I thought throughout the movie, um, which I think is, is portrayed in a lot of movies of that era where they sort of have these uh, international... Uh, intrigue, uh, sort of noirish movies, right? But uh, it's you know this this American couple traveling in a foreign country where they don't speak the language, but they, everything seems to be fine. Like they don't, <laughs> you know, they don't really have any. There's no family there. There's no one really helping them. But uh, everything's great. You know, we can just mm-hmm. pop into a little city and uh, everything's fantastic. Whereas like you know, Kyung and I, we went to. Uh, I shouldn't even talk about honeymoons but, but i'm just saying like <laughs> I, I, I feel like there's a there's a, a a level of realism that that this movie doesn't really need but could have been used for some of that international travel where it's like international travel is not always just totally comfortable uh oh, you know probably rarely is right yeah there's a lot he didn't seem it didn't seem like uh, chester was was very very familiar with Athens. I, 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 I no. don't think there was anything like that. So I, I guess that's the thing uh, to come back around to your point. That's why I buy Chester saying we need your help because he like he knows he's seen this guy in action working people in the city. Right. If he has any chance of getting away with murdering somebody, it's this guy. He, like he's not going to be able to go out and find somebody else and convince them to help him. See, but I don't, I don't know because my, I also, I, maybe I've just seen too many damn movies where I'm mm-hmm. like thinking was like, if I, if he's in this position, you're really going to trust that guy not to rat you out to the cops. Like this dude who just, you know, skimming money off of you when you're buying stuff in the, in the <clears throat> flea market. Sure. If that's your only option. Okay. And like, I, I do think that's what we are led to believe. And, and I know he even says at one point, it's like, well, we need him just for a couple more days of nothing else. Right. You know? And, uh, but man, I don't know. I just like the whole time. I'm like, why are they, are they trusting each other? And why would they? Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I wasn't quite sure, but I did. I will say, we'll, we'll go back to the idea of uh, Rydell and Colette a little bit. I did have a moment where I wrote, 
I wrote down, I'm like, they're totally going to have sex in this thing. You know, and that's, that's on page one of my notes. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but by, by the time I got to page four, I was like, this is just not happening. And I think I wanted that, man. I really do. Like I, I you know, it's again, it's like, I'm not trying to say that I need to have some stimulation oh. and titillation in every movie. And I, I do think that's part of what makes this feel, you know, specifically like a, a movie from another period a little bit, uh, is that it doesn't go in these places, but, I, I, I did kind of long for that, like a little more sexual tension between them. Even just hearing Vigo tell Oscar Isaac, like, you do not touch my wife. Like, don't, don't even look at her. You know what I'm saying? Right, it's like, right, right. you know, they never quite have this moment. Let's, uh, let's talk about the journey, though, that this thing takes. Uh, because I do think uh, this movie definitely takes a surprising turn mm-hmm. uh, towards that third act. But uh, what's some stuff that kind of really stood out to you and kind of was really grabbing you through the meat of this movie, which is not a very long movie, but it definitely has a very sort of specific pace to it. Right. Um, well, you know, what, what was what was sustaining me through the movie, uh, at least for me, was was the tension between the three of them. I thought I just told you that, that, that that's wrong, though, right? Oh, oh, you're right. No, there was no tension whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. OK. Um, so aside but, from that. And but that's no. what I really enjoyed. No. Okay, no. but no, this is great. This is cool to see that we do have different opinions for the first time. It I is. Think, in this podcast, it's like, yeah, yeah it's, I don't know. It's like why these things work for some and not for others, but that's the joy of movies, right? Right, absolutely. Uh, Continue. And, and well, um, so yeah, so I'm I'm sort of enjoying that because these two guys don't like each other, and at a point where it's advantageous for the both of them. I mean, once you get a, a little bit further into the movie, then Rydell is just as culpable as Chester is. So it's much harder now to just turn that guy into the cops. And so, and then, and then you have these great, I don't know if it was supposed to actually be nods to uh, Hitchcock, sort of these Hitchcockian moments, but there's just little bits like when they, when the bus makes its first stop and, and Rydell is realizing what actually happened, that this guy is actually dead. Mm -hmm. And you see it all from Chester's point of view from the bus where, he sees Rydell looking at a newspaper, which which Chester has been flipping over everywhere he sees him. He's been like right. trying to you know hide the faces as if that's going to you know arrest the crime. <laughs> he moves the he moves the coffee cup on top of his. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see a crime no, here. No, uh, no, but uh, but yeah. So Rydell is is walking back to the to the bus, and then you know in it, it, that's in one half of the screen, and the other half of the screen you see to uh police officers i assume and and a guy comes up and starts talking to them and there's a moment where rydell stops walking and kind of looks at the cops and it cuts back to chester and it was kind of that nice little tense moment it wasn't overplayed but it was just like uh yeah you know this is this is where we're at like this is what all these people are thinking it's like sort of when when can i turn that that guy in so that i that I have the advantage or, you know, it's, it's like sort of trying to see uh, how everything's going to play out as you know, every movie is. So that's really not very deep, but um, so deep. So, so deep. Um, Well, let me ask you this then on that line. Well, I really liked the scene where Chester woke up, you know, they had to stay out all night basically because they can't get a room and there's a bus leaving in the morning. So they they stay awake all night. Chester gets drunk. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. But he wakes up before them, and he's kind of sees them basically asleep on two benches, and he's walking around a little bit, just kind of taking the scenery, kind of trying to figure it out. And like to me, that's like a moment where 
he could have ran or or I don't know I, I, I felt like there were moments where those things probably could have happened you know one mm-hmm. of them specifically being later on when uh, Rydell finds Chester on the boat and Chester's literally getting ready to kind of throw him over I was like why well, don't just yeah go ahead just throw his ass into the ocean and be done with it and it didn't happen right. uh, there were moments where I was like Rydell why don't you just go take this dude's briefcase full of money which you know is full of money and hit the hit the road man hit the road like that was the thing is like to me that's where if i had known better that he was there for the girl which he does mm-hmm. say later on and it was a concept i really like i just didn't feel like it was executed like that right. to me makes sense then. It's like why is he sticking around yeah but also we got i mean look if if Chester's a guy who's really worried about getting found, he does a lot of stuff to make his ass noticeable. Like yeah. he gets drunk like 16 times in this thing and is walking around starting fights in the middle of these towns where he's the only white dude uh, that's American. And he's like you know? seven feet tall. He's and, seven feet tall. Yeah. And that, that wavy hair, he's got that wavy hair, you know, it's like he yeah. stands out. And so, uh, <clears throat> you know, part of me is like, I could, okay, I'll forgive it because it's just a dude under a lot of stress. And then part of me is like, I don't know, in 2014, I need a little more sophistication from my thriller characters and like I want to really believe in every bit of their motivation. Sure. Uh, So please keep telling me how I'm wrong. (laughs) Uh, I mean, yeah, I I, I can't really argue with a lot of that. Um, Yes. I didn't. I uh, won. You did. I'm kidding. I hate this movie now more than you do. So relieving to hear. Yes. No, um, they don't go about their business as master criminals uh, because they're not master criminals. They're and, clearly not, yeah. And 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 so and and so I kind of like that. Like they're they're never, they're never. Um, occasionally, they're in a little bit of danger and there's suspense. You know, before you really get to the end when there's a lot more, but but they're never comfortable. Like they they know they're not safe. Uh, uh, I, I'll definitely agree with you that he could have done a lot more to hide how he looks, especially once they see themselves in the paper. Like at least she puts yeah. on a babushka and some sunglasses, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, she looks totally different. I had no idea it was. But her. yeah, um, part of the trick. I mean, and one of the things I'm I, I'm really glad about that I watched this is because I do think that that's a really interesting look at what happens when you've got two leads who are characters that are scam artists of some kind. I think immediately my expectations were, oh, these guys are super clever. You know, and like, we're talking about it now. It's like, yeah, I, I like that they're not that clever. And yet, I couldn't fight my own expectation that I wanted them to be smarter because they're criminals. Like, they're supposed like, to, you know, each other, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like, even like Dirty, I was thinking of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and like yeah. those two idiots, you know, it's like, they're cardmen and they're, they're dumb, but they've still got these sort of like clever little moves that they play. Um, and so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, again, I kind of feel like this is a product of the time that it was written, but uh, it, it's interesting to look at it in a really sort of modern context. And like, I, again, it's like, I feel like I'm fighting just my own kind of uh, lame needs for instant and sort of modern gratification when it comes to storytelling. Well, yeah. And, and you are, and that is your mistake. But I think that if, yeah, exactly. No, I, I think uh, a big part of me enjoying this was finding out later that there was going to be this element in the movie. I mean, it's like it's like a huge gift. Right. It's like, no, Craig, you're <laughs> going to have to watch Beaches, but then Beaches turns out to be like a thriller. And it's like, oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, so 
Um, I'll get you yet. I'm going to pick one that's just like Beaches. <laughs> it's just straight romance. I'll, I'll get you. Now that you've said this, um, be on the lookout. I, honestly, I can't even say I hate Beaches. Like That's that's actually really <laughs> mean and rude. There's some really right. bizarre shit that happens in Beaches. But um, that being said, uh, yeah, so I was kind of taking it as as a movie that might have well have been made in the 50s or 60s and, and right. just kind of accepting it for these dumb things that's you know superman putting on glasses and these clark kent you know it's just like oh yeah, yeah. um so so yeah so I, yeah so i'm definitely skimming over the top about of this a little bit and and you no, know it's cool to keep the enjoying no absolutely um we gotta talk about the scenes uh of them going into the ruins and looking for shelter yes. the night that it, it starts to rain which we're talking about you know, a movie that's throwing back to a different time period. I think there's even a day for night shot or two in it. Did you notice that when they, like, yeah. right? It, there's something about it looks really weird. I was like, oh my God, is this day for night? You just don't see that a lot anymore. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. But, uh, boy, uh, I did, I, I did sort of like perk up in my seat here when they, when Vigo goes into that ruin to look for a place for, for shelter for them to stay for the night. And, you know, he's basically just got his Zippo lighter to guide him and Oscar Isaac. And Cursed Dance are left on the stairs. I was like, oh, okay, something something crazy is about to go down in this thing, you know. And then it still, I felt like it still surprised me the way it, it, it played out there. I did not yeah. see Colette meeting her demise in that scene. I, no. I wasn't expecting that. And I kind of liked it. I also think, Craig, ooh, man, this would be a really cool setup for a horror movie. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like you got these three people who were you know, in the first 10 minutes. They don't really like each other, and they walk into a ruin, and then something terrible happens. It's probably been made already, right? You know, most likely. Well, there is that movie called The Ruins. Um, okay, but they're not in the ruins; they're on top of the ruins. But that's all. Yeah, it's totally different. Um, I was also kind of thinking, how cool would it be if like a minotaur just came out and destroyed them? <laughs> That'd <have> been amazing <laughs> in this movie. Yeah, then you would have had some surprises. Uh, you know, um, what was funny about this, Sean, is the the beginning of that sequence of of them of them going into the ruins right this was the first part of the movie that i was like oh come on oh, <laughs> so, okay, okay yeah so the part where you perked up i was right. feeling disappointed and we have uh, totally different dna what happened here i don't know i don't know um it's great it's i good. mean I, I i as as it went on i i definitely got into it but mm-hmm. the the thing that kind of drove me nuts was I, I kind of felt like, wait, why is he going off into the dark by himself? Yeah. Like, why wouldn't they just all go together? There doesn't make sense for him to go off. What if he gets lost? What if the lighter goes out? Now somebody's just lost in the room. That doesn't make any sense. What if the Minotaur comes out? What What if there's a Minotaur? Yeah, no one <laughs> ever thinks of these things. No, but in um, Greece, you have to. <clears throat> you uh, do. I think that's a very good point, and it also may be... And it felt like one I, of those horror movie cliches of, what's that noise yeah. upstairs? I'm going to go upstairs. You know, it's just like, No. We're not going to do it this way. But anyway, yeah, go ahead. And, uh, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, it's a little like, I wasn't sure what, why would I expect uh, anything different to happen when Vigo, when, excuse me, Oscar Isaac goes looking for the guy, you know, it's like, yeah, uh, yeah. what indeed was he going after to find or what did he think he was going to find? He was really unprepared for the fact that he was about to get punched in the face or yeah. hit in the face with whatever he got hit with. Um, and I was pretty unprepared for it too, oddly enough. Yeah. Um, and I think it was actually probably, it was probably Rydell going off by himself more than even Chester going off by himself that really kind of drove me crazy. Okay. Like, now, yeah. really, why are you going to separate yourself? <laughs> like, th- this is, now it's ridiculous. But it, it is, it's, it's definitely, otherwise, it's a very effective sequence. 
And yeah, then when it wraps up with her dying, I mean, just uh, couldn't be more of a surprise, couldn't be a better twist, I think, for this movie. Because now, you know, if, if you've bought into the fact that this woman is essentially keeping these guys glued together, well, now mm-hmm. she's dead. So now it's, you know, whatever gloves can come off uh, will come off and their meager brains will have it out and try to, uh, you know, one up each other. And they sure did with, with pretty disastrous results. They did. <laughs> <laughs> they did. Um, le- okay, let's let's look at the, uh, how this kind of plays out in the end because I, t- I do think there's some, you know, just good examples of, of things going on structurally and from a writing standpoint. So it's always fun to watch kind of uh, any kind of cat and mouse caper. I think I felt like I was a little bit ahead of the, of the, the plot here um, as far as figuring out that that Vigo was in fact kind of setting Rydell up to be framed for this murder by leaving the suitcase. I think I maybe was just slightly ahead of that uh, in the airport when they're supposedly going to one country and instead Vigo's hopping a plane to Istanbul. I also thought it was kind of slightly overdone as far as Oscar Isaac turns about 17 corners in that airport and there's a cop around everyone. <laughs> you know what? Yes, actually, there are cops at airports. So, yeah, you, you know, yeah. one of the things that both of you guys maybe should have thought about before going to the airport. But, yeah, I guess you got no choice, right? Uh, then the next thing we know, I think he shows up in Istanbul and we see that he is, in, in fact, now working with the cops to catch Vigo and right. he's going to wear a wire. I was asking myself, if this is the end result, could it have taken place prior to Colette's death? Would that have, I mean, because she has absolutely no implications in the murder of that guy in the hotel. Sure. If his end goal was in fact to be with this woman, which is what he says he wants. And again, I think that's a really cool concept. Uh, would there not have been a chance or maybe, do you think there could have been another situation where he could have cleverly set up Vigo to, to turn this guy in clear his own name and and walk away with the girl i mean that's kind of where i don't know i I got my head was just thrown into the dryer bounced around by this whole thing by the end of it after she died although again i appreciated the surprise walk me through your your sort of sensual emotions in that last third act well i took my shirt off and i turned up the heat I like started it. the third act. Um, I always know, do that. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, it makes it better. Um, again, that is the least developed subplot in the movie is how those two felt about each other. And I think right. had that been built up in a way that you really, that you felt how he was feeling, that he was so desperate for this woman that he, you know, that he would make these pretty ridiculous decisions that that helped the movie move forward uh that would have helped a lot uh because i think yeah as long as she was alive there was less danger that he would turn in vigo because i think that was still way too dicey even after they even after they romped i feel like and um, did they in fact romp? they did they romped okay well because we don't see it though right no we don't see it uh which i know disappoints I mean, you uh, because yeah. you like you like the Terrible. full frontal situation <laughs> Um, okay, I know he tells Vigo that yes, that he had that he did have this guy's wife. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, let me back you up. Uh, yeah. Let me back Walk you me up. Walk through that and, and make sure that there is evidence to support that. I'm going to. You ready for this? Yes. Okay. Get ready to have your and mind do, do, Okay. Do not say, well, the sheets were messed up when, when no, you no, walked no. into the bed. You're not going to say that. Okay. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to use that scene, but I'm not going to say that. Okay. Okay, now. Okay, you listening? I'm, I'm loud and clear. All right. <laughs> the sheets on the bed were messed up, right? Now, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. I have to start there. Chester goes in. Uh, yeah, so he, you know, he, he's already, he already knows that they've been vibing off each other pretty hard. Right. Uh, he notices, yes, the, the sheets on the bed are messed up. He runs his hand along the sheets. I believe he smells his hand. <laughs> As rage is growing, he goes over, he grabs the railing of the bed, and you hear his skin against the metal just going, like he's about to crush the thing. Yeah. In my mind, I'm like, okay, they did it. I mean, if, if they just had sex in this room, that whole room smells like somebody just had sex. I mean, come on. So, or, 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 or the bed was I warm mean, and they were just there. I mean, he's, even if he doesn't know for sure, he knows. You he's know. got pretty good sniff dart. I mean, God knows what these people were eating, on, you know, the night before. That could have just been the smell of farts in a foreign country. Could have been farts. Could have been sex farts. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, that I'll buy. <laughs> Love making farts. So I want to ask you another question then about the ending. So, okay, you're, you you think they definitely had sex. I'll go with I that. I'll so. grant you that, and that's cool. Why, on in his deathbed, why is Vigo giving Isaac uh, the information that he seeks, knowing that he's asked him if he's wearing a wire, and then he admits to killing his wife? Is he? You know, that was another thing I wasn't. You die with a clear conscience, I, I guess. Is this the, the kind of guy that's going to do that? I don't know. Again, he's got wavy hair. How much do I trust him? I, I, granted, that the wavy hair might might not be naturally wavy at all. Uh, it might be a put-on, you know what I mean? Yeah, some pomade. But, yeah. Um, my feeling, though, is, you know, from, from the first time that, uh, that uh, the guy shows up asking for Mr. Dunleavy and then Mr. McFarland, who he turns out to be, Chester again not a criminal mastermind to me you know in, in the in the synopsis it seemed to indicate that he was a con man to me it sounded more like he was just a sudden embezzler who like saw an op- uh, like an opportunity and made the, made a bad choice but ran off with all well, the money I do think by definition that makes you a con man. Well, it does. So, it does. But it's not it does, a lifelong con man. Sure. Right. Not a career con man. Well, I mean, but if you, if you, if you described me as a con man, people would expect me to be able to take them for whatever they're worth. It's and true. it's like, no, I just, uh, there was a suitcase of money. Uh, and so one I figured, time you got lucky. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I kind of feel like, yeah, he hit the, the criminal lottery and kind of was already in over his head. Um, uh, and, and just started realizing it once people started knocking on his door. Uh, so yeah, my feeling is, uh, he, he doesn't feel at all good about having killed Colette. Um, he, he basically has completely ruined his life. If anything he said, uh, is, is true about his wife. Uh, that was the only good thing in his entire life. Well, now let me blow your mind with this, which really won't, it won't help anything. It'll only serve to muddy the waters. The movie's called Two Faces of January which is talking about uh, Janus, I guess, from, from mythology. This uh, character who looks both forward and backward is the yes. god of beginnings and endings. 
And okay, so so you have that. By the end of the movie, for some reason, by the end of the movie, Chester is now Rydell's father figure. Okay. Okay. So Rydell has not really killed his father, but his father is dead. Yeah. And when I realized, yeah, so they're playing this whole father-son thing. And then I thought, that, oh, so you slept with your mother. So there's kind uh, of this weird Edipal Edipal. thing going on. But that that really doesn't help anything symbolically <laughs> at all. Um, it's all Greek, dude. It's mythology. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was the thing. Like I, I was like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna dig into this, and yeah. everything's gonna be revealed to me about why this is playing out the way it is, and and not really. Um, uh, the Oedipal thing is is weak is is a weak uh, uh, thing to sort of try and graft on there anyway. Uh, I think just in because uh, I I do think he technically is probably older than his quote-unquote mother in that situation. Right. O- Oscar Isaac. And, and yeah, I, I'm absolutely. not positive, but... You know. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I bought the confession mainly because, uh, you know, this was this was not a hardened criminal with his heart full of revenge. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think he, he essentially wanted to die with a clear conscience. But it's, it's an interesting decision because then Isaac basically gets away scot-free, Scott presumably. Right, but I mean, he got away scot free with what? Well, with nothing but heartache and uh, you know probably twenty dollars cash. Right, <laughs> but it was, it was like this. This is again, it's it's an interesting choice for. I mean, he's not like an antihero, but he's definitely not a classic uh, leading, you know, pr- protagonist even. And I guess he is the protect. Well, I don't know. Maybe Chester is a protagonist in this movie. No one knows. No one knows. It's a puzzle. (laughs) All things a puzzle. No, that blew my mind. (laughs) I will say, uh, I did kind of come away from this movie thinking, kind of wishing that this story had been told from Oscar Isaac's point of view. To me, that was, I, I, again, I love the idea of here's this guy. He sets his targets on this woman. He knows it's a guy's wife, right? Mm -hmm. And he's going to go after her. He's going to scam them in some capacity. And I I feel like, to me, that would have satisfied what I needed from a movie like this. And so, you know, again, I think it's an interesting just sort of lesson as a writer, as a filmmaker or whatever. Um, what do you take away from this, though, as far as things that you, you saw in this and that you liked or, or didn't like or, or that you're, you're basically just going to learn from that you'll put in your little hypothetical Craig Moorhead t- toolbox uh, the next time you're thinking about making a movie or something? Um, well, I, I do really like a lot of the sequences and the way they're done in this Um uh, mainly because it, there's a very nice sort of understated suspense to a lot of the stuff, whereas I feel like in in a lesser movie it would be played up so much that even if it came off suspenseful, it would still sort of feel a little bit cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of the the, the way that uh, Amini is that is that is yes, Hossein Amini. The the way he handled uh, certain the way he handled certain uh, suspense sequences in general. I really enjoyed. I really thought he did a really good job with that stuff. Uh, and even just scenes where he's portraying the tension between uh, these characters. And in particular, there was one where after Colette has been murdered and Rydell and Chester are both on this boat. And it's actually Chester. I don't I don't know if Chester knows Rydell is on the boat yet. Um, but there's a scene where Rydell walks into, uh, I guess, sort of a dining room and and goes and sits down at a table across from Chester and just looking at him. Uh, yeah. They, 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 yeah, they haven't seen each other at all, 
since everything went down at the ruins. That was great. And so that was really great. Yeah, Rydell is just burning holes through Chester's head. Chester is you know looking back at him with not much more love. I think Rydell smokes one of his cigarettes. There's just this great. There's no dialogue whatsoever. Nope. Uh, it's just this great rhythm that they kind of go through, and it's all looks and and it all makes sense. Um, every beat of it feels really good, and like that's that's the kind of scene I would take away, no matter how half baked maybe other parts of the movie are. I would look at that scene and and kind of think about what led up to it and why that worked so well for me, and I felt that so much because that's definitely the kind of scene I would like to go for and stuff that I would make. Yeah, it's a great scene. And actually, I think, um, you know, most of the visuals in this movie I thought were pretty fantastic. Uh, Cinematography's got a really nice sort of golden hue to the whole thing. It just feels bathed in sunlight and olive oil. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, it's a really good looking movie, even just as a period piece. I think there's a lot to to glean from this and and sort of see what they did here on on the production side of it. Well, Craig, uh, let's just wrap up this movie a little bit here. I gotta say, when we were first talking about doing this podcast, this is a movie that immediately came to mind uh, for this podcast, and I'll tell you exactly why. It's because you and I both kind of grew up in the blockbuster video world, you know, where the VH store, VHS store was was king. And one of the things I loved about walking in these stores was you would always see a movie, you know, a box that had actors in it that you knew immediately and yet you'd never heard of, of this movie. And so I felt like this is a great example of that and what I miss about, you know, I, I love Netflix, but organizationally I think it's hard to find stuff on there sometimes. You know, the beauty is that nine times out of ten whenever I would find one of these movies at Blockbuster, I would never ever rent it, you know, because it's like, no, I've never heard of this damn thing. I'm going to go get Garfield or whatever the hell. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, so yeah. it's nice to be able to kind of sit down with something like this and go, oh, man, I'm such a big fan of Viggo Mortensen. I really like Oscar Isaac. Um, wh- what is this movie that they made that just disappeared? And so it's it's a cool one. I, I, I think uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, in the coming years how the movies like this uh, fare and, and find an audience because it, it's a very adult movie. Um, it moves in a different manner mm-hmm. than most of what people like me were expecting from a thriller. And yet it's got really big names uh, in front of the camera and, and behind it. So it's a cool one to check out. Yeah. I, I don't want my uh, you know negative opinions about it to take away from uh, the experience of watching it. Go check it out on Netflix if you haven't already. And so any last words on uh, Two Faces of January? Uh, you know, only that I, I think this is another example of a movie that um... – Part of the reason it may have disappeared is is the people who made it lost faith, and so you know it wasn't advertised very much, and it doesn't have that that thing or that moment that would get everyone just talking. You know, it's yeah. it's it's a it's a really well made movie with as we've already talked about some bits that felt like they could have been shored up a little bit and and would have made things stronger, but um but yeah you. To me, that's kind of why it's it's obscure right now. Um, is is just is just that, like there's nothing to kind of pull it out of the enormous pile of all the movies that come right. out every year now. Um, and and you know any of that could change. I mean, uh, you know, Oscar Isaac's is certainly on his way up. Vigo and Kirsten are well known, uh, but yeah, it's gonna it's gonna probably be one of those three. They're gonna force people to start looking at back catalogs and so on at some point. Should we move on to figure out what we're going to do next week? Absolutely. Let's do it. 
You ready? I am. Have you ever heard of Body Heat? I have, yes. That would have been a good one to watch, you know. Yeah, I know. Uh, I, I can tell that your sigh is just a disappointment. I was kind of that you're not going to get to watch it. Yeah. Okay, how about this? Have you ever heard... Oh, let's stay with this theme. Uh, Sean, have you ever heard of Body Double? I have, yes, Greg. Any more body titles you want to throw my way? Um, b- body, b- body, body by Jake. Have you ever watched one of those exercise videos? Yes, and I'm a fan of Ice T's Body Count. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, okay, let's let's get let's get serious. Okay. Sean, have you ever heard of the movie Twilight? Wait. I have. Oh, sorry. From the year 1998. Did I just blow your mind? 1998's Twilight. 1998's Twilight. Not Kristen Stewart, Robert Pattinson. Not, not, not that, not related to Taylor vampires Lawrence. at all, as far as I know. Gosh, I, I'm gonna, I gotta say, never heard of it. Yes. You got me. I've wanted to watch this movie for a long time. With Twilight, you got me with Twilight. Wow, that was oh, a little sneaky. That was a little sneaky, Craig, but I like I it. I feel I feel really satisfied right now. Good, you should. Okay, don't ever do it again. I, I'll never do it again. So, Twilight uh, is our movie next week, uh, also on Netflix. Remember the one from 1998, not the vampire ones, uh, unless vampires show up in this Twilight. I, I honestly don't know. I, I really uh, hope so. <clears throat> you never know. Um, uh, in the meantime, you can catch up with us uh, on Twitter at Never Podcast. You can catch up with us online at neverheardpodcast.com. And those are the only two places you're allowed to find That's us. That's it. Yep. Do not Google my name. 